Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! Hey mate, this, this one's just for you. <laughs> because I have such a hard body? Well, it is the theme for 1984's Hard Bodies. You, you've spoken about this on the show many times. I, I do uh, I do love the, the trilogy of Hard Body films. <laughs> I had no idea there was a part three until um, recently. I only knew about it because it ca- literally came in a three-pack <laughs> when, when I bought the DVD. Uh, I, I didn't know there were three. I only knew, I actually only really knew about the first one. because And they're completely, mm. from memory, they're, they're all completely different. Like, there's no carry-on characters or carry-on plot. Or anything in the hard body, like it's joined together by the title alone. Well, we do have an interesting show to tie that in, uh, just to give some context to the to the music we're playing. Our special guest today is none other than Courtney Gaines, an actor who I am sure many people will recognise by face, if not by name. By hair colour. <laughs> by hair colour. He he did star in Hard Bodies, uh, but of course he shot to fame as Malachi from Children of the Corn, but he's also been in um he's been in classics, man. He's been in The Burbs, he's been in Memphis Belle, Back to the Future, Can't Buy Me Love, Sweet Home Alabama. I know that's a favourite of yours. I do like Sweet Home Alabama. I do. I, I love any Reese Witherspoon <laughs> romantic comedy. What's that one where uh, Mark <laughs> Ruffalo is dead and living in her apartment? I like that one. <laughs> Just like heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know whether to be ashamed that we know these titles or to yeah, be well, proud. You know the titles. I can't remember them, but yeah. <laughs> What's the one that she's in with uh, Ant-Man? That was when she was really young. With Paul Rudd chasing the moon or something like that. There was that one. There was one like that. And then she was in SFW and everything changed. <laughs> he uh, he actually has a cheeky cameo in a brand new film called Queen Bees, which is, um, it actually has him scooching up, getting all cosy with Anne Margaret, Jane Fonda, Jane Curtin, Ellen Bernstein and Loretta Devine. So lucky fella, I reckon. Oh yeah, banging granny. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we'll grab yourself a hot cup of coffee, friends, and hang out with us today on Good Movie Monday. We are the movie podcast presented by FakeShemp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and your co-host is Ben Helwig, and if we were to star in a remake of Hard Bodies, it would probably be called Sore Eyes, I reckon. I was going to go with Soft Bodies. uh... (laughs) Yeah, Sore Eyes. Sore Eyes and Soft Bodies. (laughs) Part one, Part one and two. And two yeah. <laughs> How are you, mate? I am I'm exceedingly well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Oh, sorry, I do want to congratulate you over last week's episode. Most most filmmakers, podcasters, radio people, <laughs> when they play popcorn, they stop after the first <laughs> uh the first kind of chorus, I guess you'd call it first verse, <laughs> but not Glenn Cochran. No. He plays it all the way through. Not only all the way through, he then plays it again later in the show. 
<laughs> I've never heard that much popcorn in my... I didn't know that there was more popcorn. You know what? That's as close as I'll ever get to feeling like a puppet master, mate. I had everybody in the palm of my hand. <laughs> but um, look, from, from hard bodies to wrinkles and liver spots, we're going to attempt to rock two themes on today's show uh to tie things in with queen bees ben and i are going to discuss and recommend senior citizen movies that is movies featuring senior citizens while adam and chloe are going to be looking at two of courtney Gaines' other films later on so um also coming up uh we have jared garn to bring you up to date on all of this week's home entertainment releases guillermo troncoso will bring you some of the movie news from screen realm and the guys from bonehead weekly are here to cause some trouble and also talk about senior citizens in the movies he wants to talk about pain i had a gallstone the size of a baseball well gallstones yeah gallstones are for pussies <laughs> when i had the shingles you see me in here complaining to phil about it huh did you did you Shingles, shmingles. When I had my ulcers, I was farting razor blades. Ben, can we take a moment to focus maybe on Courtney Gaines for just a moment? Um, it's it's obviously a thrill to have him on today's show. This is a guy that has made like so many damn movies over the years, and he's one of those character actors that, like I said before, the average Joe might not know by name, but certainly knows by face. And for me, it's really hard to go past the burbs when he played Hans. Like, he's that creepy, grotty sort of kid from the Klopek family. Yeah. yeah. No, he's he's great. I mean, he's great in, um, in Children of the Corn. Like, super kind of... Considering that prior to that, I think I'd definitely seen him in Back to the Future and that kind of... Like, he's like a, he's like a Shermanator type character kind of yeah. thing in a lot of movies and then to play malachi where he's totally menacing really pulls it off um it's pretty phenomenal but you like as a ginger yourself you uh, i imagine you look up to courtney Gaines as, as one of your gods as a ginger excuse me i'm blonde sir dirty blonde you keep you keep telling yourself that glenn <laughs> You know, here's a funny story for you. I occasionally enjoy sardines, and uh, it's impossible for me to eat them without thinking of Courtney Gaines. I'm like, now that's a legacy. Yeah, if you if you're permanently associated with a with a with a canned fish, then you know that you're uh... sardines and crackers. Yeah, do you remember that in the birds when he keeps trying to feed them sardines? <laughs> But hey, the guy was also in Memphis Belle. He was in Colors and Rat Boy. I'm sure you love Rat Boy. Can't go wrong with um, Rat Boy. I'm, just, I'm shocked. Like, it's been a long time since I've seen Colors. Um, yep. But I just, I can't imagine that someone who looks like Courtney Gaines would do well in that film. Like, they wouldn't last too long. <laughs> he was the token pretty fly for a white guy. Yeah, type of guy. The, the Crips and the Bloods. Yeah. And the Gins. <laughs> From that third gang that uh, didn't fare well. <laughs> the sun yeah, came the sun, out. They, they, yeah, they're, they're the crisps rather than the cribs. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that Hail and Pace uh, song? It's utterly, utterly rotten to be ginger. No, I don't. Yeah, you, you need to YouTube it. It's the funniest music video ever. And they sing, you know, it's utterly, utterly rotten to be ginger. And then they say, you've got brawn, you've got guts when you're dunking ginger nuts. 
See, I kind of I stopped with Hail and Pace once they did the Fat Bald and Forty song, uh, which is like the song of my life. I uh, I kind of thought, well, they've reached the pinnacle. I don't need to watch anymore. Like it's never going to get better than Fat Bald and Forty. And uh, especially when I you know when I when I turned forty and I was fat and bald, I was like, yeah, this is a this is a Hail and Pace. Is they're they're soothsayers. They, it's funny, you know, when I was talking to uh, Chloe on the video last week, uh, she, I was talking to her about Courtney Gaines and she, she pointed out the fact that I, I separate gingers like they're a race. They're the league of redheaded gentlemen. They're the last minority you're allowed to make fun of, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's still politically correct. You can still talk about your uh, dislike of the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> like, that's still allowed. No one calls you out. But, you know, Courtney, if you're listening, we love you, mate. It's said with affection. I love a good ginge. Rayleigh Hill. Rayleigh Hill is a top ginge. Andrew Everhart's a good ginge. Top ginge. <laughs> <laughs> there are many, man. There are many. There are lots of good gingers. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all in Scotland. Yeah, they where the sun doesn't where the sun the sun <laughs> avoids. That should have been the real story of Thirty Days of Night that you did last yeah. week. <laughs> not a single ginger in that film <laughs> there, may, right. there may have been a couple of dirty blondes though I don't know <laughs> Now mate, uh, before we go busting out the lavender coat hangers And blow the dust off some mothballs Let's uh, throw over to Jarrett and uh, find out what he's looking at this week Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE class. Now, I'm going to kick off this week with a little news and that's Andrew Dominic's Chopper is finally getting a Blu-ray release on September 9th. That's right, it's finally coming to Blu-ray and this is a global Blu-ray debut. It'll also follow a brief theatrical re-release of the movie in celebration of its 20th anniversary. It's a new restoration, but I don't have details as to whether it's a 2K or 4K restoration, just that it was supervised by director Andrew Dominic and producer Michelle Bennett. As for special features for the Blu-ray release, I don't have any details there either, but I can tell you that it will have a DTS HD Master Audio 5.1 track, so you'll be hearing Chopper in HD at home which is good news moving on to this week's releases i'll start with imprint films now these guys released what three films last week and two box sets well they've got another release this week however it's just a standalone release and it is a corker it's david cronenberg's adaptation of stephen king's the dead zone now this will be the third time that via vision have released the dead zone on blu-ray in australia however it's the first time they've released it under the imprint films moniker and it is the definitive edition they've released in fact, this version is even better than the US release that came out last month from Screen Factory. So it's got a 2K scan from the original camera negative. It's got two new interview featurettes, one with cinematographer Mark Irwin and the other one with composer Edward Shermer. It's got a documentary titled Dino in the Dark, adapting The King of Horror, which is on producer Dino De Laurentiis' adaptation of Stephen King's novels. It's got interviews with Mark L. Lester, Mick Garris, Tom McLaughlin and more. And then one of the most exciting special features of this release is a visual essay titled Frank Dodd and the Cujo Connection. Now this is written and narrated by film historian and author Lee Gambon. It's a deep 18 minute exploration of the connections within the Stephen King literary and cinematic universes but particularly those between the Dead Zone and Cujo and it's got a fascinating insight to what could have been if screenwriter Barbara Turner and director Peter Medic had their way with Cujo. Now if you enjoy this visual essay I can highly recommend Lee's book 
Nope, nothing's wrong here, the making of Cujo. Then, rounding out the special features are the Stephen Jones and Kim Newman commentary and the Stephen King interview that were on the previous Viavision release. And then it's got all the archival special features from the Paramount Special Edition US release. And in fact, some of those, I think most of those special features are on the previous Viavision release as well. In any case, this is a definitive release. If I was Adam Ross, I'd give this five stars. Moving on to Roadshow. Roadshow's releasing Those Who Wish Me Dead on Blu-ray and DVD. Now this one, pretty lackluster release to be honest. I mean, it's getting a release on Blu-ray, but it's got one solitary special feature, a making of featurette. So essentially a glorified EPK. Then from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, A Quiet Place Part 2 is hitting 4K UHD Blu-ray and DVD. I have talked about this release like, like last week or the week before. It was fairly recently. Then also from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, Wrath of Man, the Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham film is coming to Blu-ray and DVD. It's a cracker of film. Then there's a slew of films hitting DVD. We've got Dream Horse. It's that horse move with Tony Collette doing an accent. We've got a horror movie called The Dare. You've got the very excellent Mr. Dundee that's finally coming to physical media after its Amazon exclusive for what, like a year or so. Then the Aussie film June again hitting DVD also. So that's it for me for this week. And until next time, stay physical. <laughs> Speaking of senior movies, uh, Jarrett just mentioned at the end of that that June again is coming out on DVD this week. That's a good one. I saw that at the cinemas with Noni Hazelhurst, Stephen Curry and Claudia Carvin, mate. Get on it. Ooh. Did you drop something? I I may have just collapsed a stack of DVDs. <laughs> In our world, that's a catastrophe. That's a, <laughs> <it's> a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so big steal. <laughs> big steal. What? Check out the tips on that bloke. Did you saw it? Work? <laughs> <laughs> what? And Ben's just had a stroke. What were you talking about? What did you? Say? I was. I was. <laughs> June again, the Noni Hazelhurst film. Oh, that's not the big steal at all. No, no and I've spent too much time promoting June again yeah. <laughs> already. <laughs> yeah. Well. Thank you to Jared. That's good stuff as always. And actually, the the new release is coming out this week. We have already posted video reactions to. We uh we did videos for Wrath of Man, Those Who Wish Me Dead, and Quiet Place Two. People can find those on our social media pages: Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I finally get a chance to w- to watch Those Who Wish Me Dead. Were you not in that reaction video? No, I was, but remember, I didn't. I missed the screening. That's oh, the that's one. right. <laughs> well, sir, do you agree yeah. with me? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, if you are a regular listener to this show, then you will already know that Jarrett comes to us from Monster Pictures and can be found lurking on their social media pages. So go over there and check him out and hassle him. But Ben, I have a treat for you. Ooh. Let me just um let me just grab a glass, mate. Going to uh I'm going full method on this episode. Okay. Uh how do you feel about prune juice? Oh uh, I don't know. I like I like cranberry juice. Is it that's similar, isn't it? Well, I'm sorry, but here you go, mate. Get that into you. Excuse me. I'll be back in half an hour after I uh, make myself regular. I think I might have some Werther's candies for you too, if you're lucky, Ooh. mate, and some Scotch finger biscuits. Lovely. You're talking my language. <laughs> Can we be in bed by 8.30? Can we hurry this up? I need to be in bed by 8.30. It, it's, it's only 6.20, young man. <laughs> <laughs> when I think about movies about old folks, I immediately think of things like Cocoon and On Golden Pond and Calendar Girls. I'm sure you think about Calendar Girls. I do indeed. Every time I watch any of the other British movies about 
senior citizens, I think back, I'm like, I wonder if she was in Calendar Girls. The, I mean, I, I, surely, I can't be the only one who anytime they watch any movie and an actor or an actress comes on that you find attractive, the immediate thing you do is you go on your phone and you type in their name followed by the word nude. <laughs> yeah, we've and, all done uh, it. And that, you know, with thanks to Calendar Girls, that it, it comes up, there's a lot more things come up that you wouldn't have thought. <laughs> wouldn't have thought. It's like Calendar Girls was like the, because uh, it was, wasn't it like a the woman's answer to the full Monty? Yes. Like trying to recapture the glory of the full Monty, which <laughs> I, was, I don't know if that was that glorious, but you know. At the time, it was it was pretty pretty big. <laughs> well, I um there were so many to choose from when we we're coming up with recommendations here, but I originally thought the obvious would be grumpy old men because uh, it's really hard to go past grumpy old men, and uh, you may have heard that little soundbite from said film a moment ago. But uh, I'm going to kick off with uh, one of the Calendar Girls. This is a film starring Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland. It's called The Leisure Seeker, and it's a sucker punch of a movie. This is a, this is one that was made in 2017, and I think I saw it at the Melbourne International Film Festival, if I'm not mistaken. It is very funny. It's it's entirely heartbreaking, and it just showcases two incredible performances. And the story itself, it tells of an elderly husband and wife who pretty much hop into their Winnebago and leave for one final road trip because he's been diagnosed with dementia and she's got terminal cancer and they don't tell anyone that they're going, like their families have no idea and they travel across the country in like this ultimate pact of love and look, it's such a beautiful film and it's, he's a highly respected English professor and in the heyday he's, you know, one of the, um, you know, the best the best of the, the creme of the crop, I guess you would say. And now he's just a babbling mess, you know, doesn't remember anything. But um, it's just heartbreaking. But uh, look, if you've never seen it, I do highly recommend it. But be warned, it is heavy stuff. Really striking, really heartbreaking. It feels like the drama version of Hear No Evil, See No Evil. <laughs> <laughs> Fuzzy Wuzzy was a woman. <laughs> 12 o'clock. What? <laughs> so good. So good. Is that what it is? I thought you let one go. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm black. <laughs> Does mom know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kevin Spacey's finest hour, mate. Yeah, and Joan Severance's. <laughs> yeah, she had weird nipples in that. Yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I think she had them. She took them with her. I don't think she, she didn't leave them, left them on set. <laughs> Anyway, The Leisure Seeker, <laughs> highly recommended. It. It's directed by a guy called Paolo Vierzi. I don't know how to pronounce his surname. I think it's Vierzi. And um, he made a whole Paul, lot of Paul Italian Vizzi. films before. Is that what his name? <laughs> Paul Vierzi. <laughs> Paolo Vierzi. <laughs> That's not offensive at all. You always overcomplicate their names. It's like, it's, it's John Smith. <laughs> and this is his first English film. And uh, yeah, just go check it out. It goes into some very unexpected places. And right now, I think you can watch it on SBS On Demand. Because I don't know if it's available on other platforms yet. But um, interestingly, I must say, the critical rating on this one is really low. And yet, the audience rating is quite high. So just that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Hmm. But anyway, um, what have you got next? Uh, well... <clears throat> Funnily, funnily enough that you mention uh, uh, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon because the first film that I'm going to talk about is from 1971 called, and it's called Koch. And it was actually Koch. Koch. It was directed by Jack Lemmon. The only, the only film he directed, I believe. 
I thought you were going to say Out to Sea. No. <laughs> I, I refuse to watch any movies with Brent Spiner in them. Uh, <laughs> unless they're Star Trek movies. Uh, no, this is directed by Jack Lemmon. And funnily enough, the, it, it was made in 1971. So Walter Matthau would have been 51 when this movie mm. uh, was shot. And he plays the the kind of grandfather character, Koch. And they, they, they have put him in old man makeup. But by old man makeup, I mean they've made his hair white. Well, hang on a second. Like, 51's only like 10 years away from us, mate. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> my point. Like, he was actually quite young. He was playing a lot older. Okay, good. But, although, there is... Yep. I, I, I felt the more of these kind of movies I watch, especially the older ones, like, you know, thanks to the mod, the, the marvel of modern medicine, you know, people in their six, 50s and 60s are a lot more spry and mobile now. When oh. you watch some of those, you watch like a Pressburger Power movie and people in their 50s are literally in their deathbeds. I have the perfect example of that coming up for one of my recommendations. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> But this <laughs> this movie Koch, it's 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 really good. Like it's a kind of kind of comedy drama uh, type film. And Jack and Walter Matthau plays this. Um, he plays this old man who's living with his his son and daughter, his son and daughter in law, um, played by uh, Charles Aidman and, and Felicia Farr. And they've just had, I think their their kids two two or three years old. And he kind of he's quite happy to spend all his time looking after the kid. He loves the kid. But he's like, you know, they and they say they bring it up in the movie. He's kind of one of these annoying old people who like kind of ignore everything you say and want to do everything their own way and and talk constantly. Uh, to the point where Felicia Farr can't cannot stand him. She cannot handle him being around, to the point where she kind of schemes to get him sent to an old age home and hires a babysitter to look after the kid. And uh one night, Walter Matthau, before they've managed to get rid of him, Walter Matthau kind of sneaks downstairs to get a glass of milk at night and he catches the babysitter um, having sex with her boyfriend uh, on the couch. And uh, he figures that now, now it's his chance to kind of get rid of her. So he, he tells his son and then he, the next day he, he kind of, he realizes that's a rat thing to do. So he, he, he backtracks and tries to tell him, you know, like, you know, maybe keep that between ourselves. And as, there's uh, uh maybe don't say anything but it's too late and as, as it turns out mm -hmm. the girl has got pregnant and she's only 16 so and in the 70s this is a big scandal and her brother played by uh the chinless wonder frank burns from mash larry linville uh basically kicks her out or they tries to send her off to you know an aunt in san francisco kind of thing to have the baby in secret but she just basically she takes off and by this stage, the family have also kind of kicked Walter Matthau out and they've sent him to this old age home, but he absconds from the retirement village and kind of tracks her down because he feels so bad about and responsible for, for what he's done. And basically it's him and this pregnant teenager kind of living in Palm Springs while she gets bigger and bigger. And, you know, she plans to give up the baby for adoption and, he doesn't think that she thinks that the minute she sees the baby, she won't. So he's like building cribs and, you know, kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just really kind of nice movie about two people feeling, needing to feel useful to each other. Yeah. yeah. So really, it's a really good film. Really. It, 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 I think it was nominated for a bunch of, um, for a bunch of awards. I think Walter Matthau may have been nominated for best actor. It, it cost too. It cost 
like 1.5 million. It was a minuscule budget budgeted film, and it made three times that at the box office. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely worthwhile. It's out on DVD. I've seen it floating around locally. Uh, I think a Blu-ray may have just come out as well. Those themes that you just mentioned at the end kind of tied in nicely to my one, the Leisure Seeker. Mm. You know, it's two people sort of searching for a place. But um, excellent choice, my friend. I haven't seen that in a very long time. In fact, I've forgotten most of it until you mentioned it then. But um, I, I'm eyeing off those. I'm eyeing off those scorched almonds that you've got hiding there, mate. Um, may I have one? No. <laughs> How's it going everybody? It's Gidman here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. I'm here to tell you a little bit of the news that we've covered on the website in the past week, and I'm also here trying not to lose my shit during lockdown madness. Alright. Kicking off with Christoph Waltz and Willem Dafoe, they'll soon be seen together in a western that's been titled Dead for a Dollar. The film is to be directed and written by Walter Hill, whose credits include 1979 cult hit The Warriors, 48 hours, another 48 hours, and bullet to the head, among others. Death for a Dollar will take place in 1897, set in New Mexico Territory, Chihuahua, and will have Waltz playing famed bounty hunter Max Berland. It's another Western bounty hunter role for the Oscar winner, following Tarantino's Django Unchained. Max Berland is hired to find and return one Rachel Price, the wife of a Santa Fe businessman. He heads to Mexico, where he runs across a sworn enemy, Willem Dafoe, a gambler and occasional outlaw he had sent to jail years earlier. Across the border, he discovers that Rachel, in an effort to flee her abusive husband, willingly ran away with the African-American army deserter accused of kidnapping her. Max must choose whether to return Rachel to her abuser or help her fight off hired guns as well as his rival. Even though it's been on quite the restrictive lockdown, Russell Crowe is managing to direct a feature film in Sydney. The film is called Poker Face, a thriller that Crowe is directing and co-starring in, alongside a cast that includes Liam Hemsworth, Elsa Pataki and Wu-Tang Clan frontman The RZA. The film was originally to be directed by Gary Fletter, known for Runaway Jury, Don't Say a Word. According to Daily Mail, he was unable to make it to Australia due to the restrictions, thus allowing Crowe to take the helm. The plot of Poker Face is set in the world of high-stakes poker, with Crow playing a tech billionaire who finds himself caught up in a risky card game. The screenplay, penned by Stephen M. Coates, originally had its story set in the city of Miami, Florida, but was reportedly changed to Sydney thanks to a push by Crow. Interestingly, the film will also feature a car chase that takes place on city streets, not something you see too often in big-name films. Poker Face, Crow's second film as director following 2014 period drama The Water Diviner, is now filming around Sydney and at Fox Studios with strict COVID-safe guidelines, of course. And get ready for a lot more South Park and a lot more from creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone who are making bank thanks to a new deal that they've made with Viacom CBS. Trey Parker and Matt Stone will be producing 14 movies for Paramount Plus, all based on South Park. And the deal will also keep South Park on Comedy Central through to at least its 30th season in 2027. According to Bloomberg News, the deal is valued at around $900 million over a six year term. So 14 movies and three additional 10 episode seasons of South Park and Parker and Stone will reportedly get $150 million a year in advance to cover their fees for the upcoming productions as well as the ongoing profit participation stakes from the franchise reports variety that about does for me guys be sure to also visit screen realm on youtube and yours truly is starting to show his face there so go on youtube and join me where i'm gonna start covering some movie news and other stuff on video screenrealm.com everyone thanks for having me i'm out of here these lips 
We're made for kissing these hips. We're made for blessing these arms. We're made for squeezing you tight every day, only every night. These lips. We're made for selecting these hips. We're made for connecting these legs. We're made for wrapping around you so tight. Only every night when you see me dancing on the floor, you'll agree. I'm class to the core when you see me dancing with the boys, you'll agree. You've never seen such poise. These lips were made for tasting my time. Wasn't made for wasting, so I'm gonna show you how it's done just for fun. Anyone wanna come? These lips were made for kissing. Take a sip, and you'll know what you've been missing. You'll flip when this tamale wants to make you stay every day, only every night. What you say every day, only every night. We can play every day, only. Did you recognise that singing voice? If uh, if you guessed Joy Baha, then you'd be close. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually the legendary Divine singing these lips from the movie Lust in the Dust, which was directed by Paul Bartel, the legendary Paul Bartel. The man behind uh, Death Race 2000 and uh, Eating Raoul. Correct, sir. And uh, on piano in that particular scene of the film is none other than Courtney Gaines, and it's, it's hilarious. But... um. We spoke about some of his work earlier. Uh, one film that we didn't mention, I just want to sort of bring up, is a film called The Bronx Bull. Have you heard about this one? Never heard of it. He was, yeah, not many people have. This one was actually written and went into production as Raging Bull 2. He's, he's like the Ray Liotta character? Not Ray Liotta, sorry. Um, the, what's the boxer's name in, in Raging Bull? Oh, Jack LaMotta. Jack LaMotta, that's it, not Ray Liotta. Jack LaMotta. Yeah, well, the interesting thing here is that um, this film was produced by LaMotta himself, and the cast is fantastic. Um, playing the sort of the De Niro character, the LaMotta character was William Forsyth, who looks much closer to the real man himself. Yeah. Uh, Joe Mantegna, Penelope Ann Miller, James Russo, Robert Darby, Cloris Leachman, Tom Sizemore, Natasha Henstridge, and Ray Wise were all in this one as well as Courtney. Uh, and it's actually a good film. Even just watch the trailer and you'll get the impression that this is a pretty good production. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I just thought it was worth a, worth a note worth because uh, no, one's, no one's heard of it. But um, I want to draw everyone's attention to a movie that he wrote and starred in called Benny Bliss and the Disciples of Greatness. I have not seen it, but I've watched the trailer and I am fascinated. Did you watch the trailer for this? No, no. I know you asked me to and uh, I had all the inten- good intentions. <laughs> to do it, and then I forgot about it in the heat of the moment. Do you hear that? That's me scrunching up my bloody run list and throwing it in the bin, <laughs> sir. Thanks for nothing. I got, <laughs> I got. The problem was I got a bit frazzled because in my head, at the beginning of the week, I I told you what films I was going to cover, and then I realised yesterday that I'd only given you two films, and I was like, oh shit. What was the third one? <laughs> and I just went into kind of panic mode about trying to find, <laughs> trying to find. <laughs> we tend to drop down to two when Sam's on the desk. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, uh, and so then I just, that was pretty much, you know, I've done absolutely no work. 
Last, Do you see uh, Sam at this desk? Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, I, found, I, did find, I did find a third film. But it, it did stop me from watching the trailer that you asked me to watch for the show. Oh, well, I've thrown that away, mate. Let's you know, <laughs> go on. Go on, we'll excised. About, we can, we'll get Courtney Gaines to come on the show and be a third panellist and talk about it then. Excellent. And I have a funny feeling he wants to do that. But uh, let's join the man now himself. Um, let's give a little bit of context here because his new film is called Queen Bees and it's opening, opening theatrically. It was opening this week, but I think if I read correctly, it may have been pushed back a week or two, which is kind of good considering that the country is practically in lockdown. Um, but I was given uh, free reign here to talk to Courtney about anything at all because he's, his role in Queen Bees was on air cameo. So we got to talk about a whole lot of, a lot of other things and the clock was ticking. So I was limited to where I could take the conversation, but suffice to say, there's a lot more to be said. And yes, we will have him back on the show at some point, but uh, here we go. This is my chat with Courtney Gaines. Courtney Gaines, how are you, mate? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to talking to you. So thank you for taking the time. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you. And I, uh, to celebrate the occasion, I do have a Back to the Future mug. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> now, technically, technically, is... you, technically, you are in the future, right? You're, you're in the next day <laughs> right now. So you've accomplished yeah. your goal. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm method. <laughs> um, so, um, we, our time is limited. So if you don't mind, I'm going to sort of hopscotch between quite a few things, but definitely want to start with, uh, your latest film is Queen Bees and yeah. sort of to help promote this on our show, we're going to be talking about, um, sort of senior citizens in film. And that's not to say that you're one of the senior citizens, but you do play in this film. <laughs> I'm getting there, but I'm not quite in the senior citizen level yet. No. <laughs> But uh, uh, I I only did a cameo in that movie, but I had the opportunity to work with Ellen Bernstein, Anne Margaret, Jane Curtin, and Loretta Devine, and I wasn't going to miss that opportunity, and that was just a lot of fun. Uh, Incredible. It's probably one of the most prestigious casts that you've sort of been part of. I mean, even when you include um, James Caan and whatnot, I know you weren't particularly in the scene with him. Which we've technically been in two movies, but haven't actually worked together. Yeah, was um. Can you give a, a bit of a, a really brief rundown for our listeners what what this one is all about? Yeah, sure. So Ellen Bernstein goes into a retirement home while her house is supposed to be getting worked on, and then the house burns to the ground, and then she has to move in there, and she realizes it's like high school all over again with the mean girls and the cliques and the popular crowds and the not popular, and then her and James Conn end up finding love in the end. But it really it really touches on you know what seniors go through. Movie the the, the man who wrote it, uh, the producer and writer this is what happened with his grandmother and he was shocked to find out it was like high school all over again, you know? So he decided to write a movie about it. Um, I just, like, again, I said, I just do a cameo. I'm a, I, I come in in a diner and steal Ellen Bernstein's purse. And then they catch me in bond by beating me up. And it's sort of a bonding moment for them. Um, but what was really great <laughs> is the first half of the scene, I just got to watch them work. You know, I got to watch these really wonderful actresses for like half a day, just do their thing. And I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a student of the game. And I know like Ellen Bernstein is like, you know, method from actress studio. And then you've got like a Jane Curtin with that Saturday Night Live comic timing you can't teach, you know, just to watch how they all interacted with each other. I couldn't wait when it was my turn to get to work with them. I had a ball. For sure. Who was the most mischievous of them? Mischievous. Mm, That's an interesting question. I don't know that anybody was overly mischievous. 
uh, uh, I like to tell you a couple of stories. When I got introduced to them, Jane Curtin was really sweet and was like, I know you, you've been in everything. And I thought, how nice it <laughs> Jane Curtin saying that to me, right? That was fantastic. Yeah. And then Anna Margaret kept going, oh, we're going to have to beat you up. I'm so sorry. I'm so-. She, all day, she comes up. And it's like, wow, this is Anna Margaret, man. I mean, like, come on. Did I ever think I would get a chance to work with Anna Margaret? Nah, you know? Oh, let alone being cozied up to her. Like, you know, can't complain. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I'll tell you, she's still beautiful, even, you know, at 70 or whatever she is. Just a beautiful woman. Absolutely. Cannot disagree. Um, and of course, on our show, we are focused heavily on genre films. And you have been in so many of the films that we discuss, you know, from Hard Bodies to The Burbs and Back to the Future, Colors, Can't Buy Me Love, you name it. Um, but it, it did all begin with Children of the Corn in 1984. Um, is, is that... That would have to be one of the most defining and important moments of your career, yeah? You froze for just a second. I'm going to assume you were talking about Children of the Corn. Yeah, yeah I was. I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll, I'll ask again. Uh, 1984, that's where it all began. Um, an important moment in your career, nonetheless. Um, is that the film that sort of has defined your career? I think it's by far the most... Rec- I, would say, I would say by far, but it's the most iconic and the most recognizable. People certainly recognize it from the Burbs and Cat Buy Me Love and certainly Back to the Future. But I would say that's the one that's the most recognizable. And, and because I, of conventions, you know, sci-fi and horror fans are by far the most loyal that, uh, you know, that's where I've, I, I have the, you know, the most feedback is <laughs> from Children of the Cord. I can't tell me how many times people come up to me and said, you know, you scared the beep out of me in my childhood. I had nightmares, you know. <laughs> People coming in, women shaking, you know, sweating, you know, and I, I just try to ease and, you know, have them have a good experience so they can, you know, they can let that go in their life. <laughs> yeah. So in, in terms of um, like that film and your career, was there immediate attention on you from it or did that, was that a slow build? Um, there was, but it was also not just in the business, but it was also in the world. I was not prepared for the reaction I was going to get. I was not prepared for literally kids running to their mothers crying and things like this was not, uh, I didn't, it was what I learned was the power of cinema is what I learned. Mm. I learned like, wow, this really, what we do can have a, a great impact, good or bad. And, uh, and then the other thing I thought to myself was just, this is such a defining character. I got to make sure I don't do this character again right now. I got to, my goal became in the eighties to not play the same character twice. And I was able to achieve that. You know, I was able to have a successful project in every genre, even the TNA genre, which no longer exists, but hmm. you know, in comedy in horror in drama, you know, I was able to succeed in any, you know, I don't even colors, I guess as a drama, but even that was a, it's a groundbreaking film in its own right, because no one had ever talked about the gangs of Los Angeles before that movie broke West coast rap, you know? So I I was able to be part of some things that really had some impact in the eighties. And I think that's why those are still the things I'm most known for, you know? Yeah, for sure. And from my point of view, the one that I identify with you the most is definitely the burbs. Uh, (laughs) Just absolutely phenomenal performance in that one. Um, Another insane cast as well. Can you talk a little bit about making that movie? Was it as fun to shoot as it was to watch? It was fun. I mean, it was, you know, my character was, I'm a character, I'm a method actor, right? So I'm trying to get in there, you know. My big thing I worked with was an animal essence. I was like a scared deer in headlights. And I think if you look at it from that point of view, you'll see I 
I was able to achieve that, you know, stranger in a strange land. Joe Dante was great. He, I gave him all the credit in the world for the look. He's the one who's like, go get these teeth done and then let me see them. And they go, oh, I want this haircut really bad. Don't make it good. Oh, here's the, here's the swath of the, why I want the lederhosen. When they get made, come see me. And I put all this stuff on. He just started laughing and going, you're never going to work again. You're never going to work again. You know, he was, <laughs> he was, he was great. So the challenge was because this guy was a stranger from a strange land. The problem was everywhere I looked were people I grew up with, you know, that I recognized. I mean, everything from Henry Gibson to Tom Hanks to Carrie Fisher to a big Bruce Dern fan. You know, I had to like shake that off. I don't know these people, you know, that was the biggest, the biggest challenge. Um, The thing that was interesting historically was there was a writer's strike during the time that was being shot. So we and Fletch 2 were the only movies on the entire Universal lot. And we were there mostly at nights. So we mostly had the whole lot to ourselves, which was really kind of a a weird thing. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people, uh, a lot of actors say that, you know, little things like uh, wardrobe and makeup will really help them latch onto a character. Was it the same with that one? Like, you know, the way you looked, like surely it was easy to immerse into. Well, usually I, I come up with a lot of that stuff myself. Sometimes I even, you know, go back and forth with wardrobe to the point where like, they're like, fine, show, show the director what you want, thinking they're not going to like it. And they usually go with my choices and they get mad at me. I mean, I, I, you know, if you have a vision, you know, you got to work for it, you know. But like I said, in this case, Joe Dante was very clear about what he wanted. And mm. I would say where that really came together for me, as far as the whole thing was, was uh, when we did the makeup. Um, I always forget the makeup artist's name, but he's like, you know, if you look at his credits, I'm sure they're a mile long. His apprenticeship was with Eddie Munster and the, you know, that's how far back he went. So, and he would not let me leave the chair until it was done. They would sometimes try to rush me out the door and he was an old veteran. He's like, just go away. I'll tell you when he's done. And he taught me more about makeup than anybody. Um, because what he was doing was the opposite of making you look good. He was, he was reversing it. So like, say like my eyes are beady and so they're, they're shadowy here. Normally you do makeup to open that up, right? He would put yeah. shadows, more shadows in there to make it look. <laughs> so it was like, you know, here, here, here. And, and then the, he did a very interesting thing that no one else has ever done that I've gone on to use, particularly for auditions, is he used pastels to get green veins in my face. And you, you'll notice that some mm. of the clothes you'll see I have these green veins and that was, he took a pastel, used a little sandpaper and then brushed it on with a brush. And that was usually the final touch for him. And uh, it was just subtle and interesting. And, and I, 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 like I said, I learned more about makeup and that's when it really clicked. When the makeup was done the first time, I was like, okay. Yeah. And that, and there, that was definitely, there was definitely something mossy about your face in that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was that green in there you didn't know about. <laughs> you're like uh the ginger beetlejuice <laughs> there you go there you go that's that's, <laughs> that's awesome uh and that cast was particularly diverse and and no two actors were alike you know was there a good rapport with with the cast on that one yeah there was um and and uh i got you know everybody got along um you know, Tom Hanks, be, you know, Tom Hanks is the most down to earth A-lister you're ever going to meet. So when you have that sort of sets a tone for, you know, no diva ships here going on anywhere. Nobody tripping because, you know, your, your lead guy is chilled out, you know, so that makes a big difference. He was very cool. But for me, like I said, I was a big Bruce Dern fan and Bruce Dern kind of, after we did this first scene where I come out uh, and, uh, 
smashed the, smashed the trash can or he came up to me and he's he, he coming by my character's name he's like that was really good work hans you know and he started talking about you know method acting and he took me under his wing and and uh it meant a lot to me for someone as good as he is to to recognize what i was doing we got to work together again recently in a movie called hellblazer that's got a pretty good horror cast but the reason i went to go do that was mainly just to go to tell him how much i appreciated him all those years ago you know taking you know, taking notice to what i did he didn't have to do that so it was really great yeah. to catch up with him and it was great to work with him again i mean the guy's 70 and his mind's still twice as fast as mine you know he's just improving and coming up with he's brilliant man i'm a big fan yeah absolutely same here um and we've been trying to get uh joe dante on the show this year so hopefully uh fingers crossed we can get him on and talk a bit more about the verbs also um you know you you were a teen star in the 80s were you part of that um that soda pop club sort of culture no no and i never really got quite you know in that brat pack you know that that happened mm. i wasn't really in that circle but i was I, I was, and I'm, I'm still, I've always just been about the work. I wasn't really interested in the parties and the whatever, you know, that was not my, to me, I always tell people LA is anything you want to make it. It's all there and be careful, <laughs> you know, cause that's how a lot of people crash and burn. And my yeah. eye was on, my eye was on the prize of making the transition into a, being an adult actor. So I knew I had to keep studying. I knew I had to keep working at it. I knew that, you know, I had this run, but eventually when that run, was over, I was going to have to figure out how to make that transition. And, uh, you know, I, I think having that, that foresight has served me, served me well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and looking, you know, you're still making so many films and, and in fact, you're actually, um, in a film with a friend of mine, um, Candy Corn, uh, I know Timothy Beckholt who was in that one oh. and, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a funny yeah, guy. It was a very different thing for Jimmy to do because he does a lot of imitations and things. And, uh, you know, he comes from a small town in Ohio. That was like, you know, what, a, what an opportunity for him. Um, I ended up, I started out just an actor on that. I ended up coming on as a producer and helped raise a little funding to finish it. And when we shot in LA, I kind of said, okay, now you're in my world. Let me, I can get deals on trailers and I'm going to show you how we do it here and get it done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the movie came out solid, came out to be a good little film. It certainly did. Um, and looking back at, at your career, like, do you have any personal favorites of your own? Like just ones that really stand out to you as, you know, stuff that you're really proud of? Uh, in TV, uh, I, I did some very, very good guest stars in TV. The two that jump out is a uh, diagnosis murder. I played a character who was paralyzed on one side and pretending to have cerebral palsy on the other, and then breaks out of all that in the scene with Dick Van Dyke in the court scene. You know, I had less than a week to prepare that. I had less than 24 hours to audition for it. So I'm pretty proud of that. And I just did a Criminal Minds a few years back that I'm also very proud of, where I play this homeless character who's got PTSD and all these things. It has all these turns and twists. You think he's the unsub, but he's not. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful role. And uh, I, it's called um, uh, My Brother's Keeper. So if you, you know, if you like that show, check it out. As far as films, the two that jump out as far as, you know, interesting uh, – I did a movie called Benny Bliss and the Disciples of Greatness that I helped produce that I wrote four songs. And the most without the net I've ever been is we did a 30 minute set like live. We shot it twice. That was just like, we hadn't even rehearsed the whole set through in any kind of order. It was the most without a net I've ever been. No punch-ins vocally, real band, very good band. And uh, that was an amazing, amazing experience. And then Memphis Bell, all of us who were part of that talk about you know, chasing something that good for the rest of our career because it was just top notch every every step of the way. Four or five Oscar winning people on the crew, the DP, 
the set dresser, a set designer, I mean, which is a very important thing on, on movies, the, the, the editor, the producer, I mean, just top notch people, you know? Absolutely. That is a great one. And uh, I think we might have to cover that one on our show at some point soon too. <laughs> but um, look, you know, sadly the clock has run out, but um, you know, I could talk to you for ages, but thank you so much for taking time out of your afternoon or evening to, uh, to chat. Very good. Well, maybe another time with something else coming out, you can set it up where it's a, not as short a meeting. We could, we could do a longer one down the road. Oh, if mate, like. Would absolutely love it. Even get you on for a whole episode. Sounds good. Dude, there's a cool guy. I definitely want to get him back on the show if he is not offended by your insults and slander and all-round ginger hate. It's all right. He's a ginger. He'll have tough skin. He'll be used to it. <laughs> we do know that Chloe on this show has a real thing for gingers. Really? Yes. Uh, go back and watch one of our Up Late episodes and uh, she, yeah, she, 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 likes, she likes to put her hands through their hair. <laughs> does, it, does, the, does ginger hair feel different to normal hair? <laughs> Is it not normal hair? I don't know. You, you like. <laughs> <laughs> don't go there. I am not a ginger. <laughs> Does the hair break away and just, fly off? Just stand still for a second, Glenn. I'm just, just going to let me run my hand through those, those silky locks of yours. <laughs> <laughs> am I right, ladies? <laughs> Uh, so in that conversation, I did mention that a friend of mine, Jimothy Beckholt, starred in Candy Corn with Courtney, and I met Jim through Scarefest in Kentucky, and that is a lousy segue, because here are some other guys that I met through Scarefest. Hey, welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. No, I thought we were changing the funsies. No. Funsies! No. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite movies with old people that we're pretty sure we did on bonehead one time but we can't really remember because we're old and our old yeah. producer who kept the spreadsheet is no longer our producer and i'm pretty sure she quit way before we did the one about the old people because uh, yeah, 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 yeah. we're 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 three quarters past our old producer by the way so <laughs> my favorite old person movie. now did you just make up that fraction admit it you did. i don't know how to do fractions you, you, you i had I, I'm not allowed to do fractions. They say if I have one myocardial infraction, I'm in trouble. That's infarction. Oh, I'm good then. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Chad, go first. All right. So I am going to go the mobster route. And what happens when four old mobsters <laughs> you give up the life of that episode? Keep going. Yeah, give up the life of crime and move into a retirement home. I'm talking about the crew from the year 2000. The Burt year Reynolds 2000. career in. Yeah, uh, it pretty uh, pretty much yeah. It starred Richard Dreyfuss, Burt Reynolds, Dan Hedaya, and Seymour Cassell. Because that's three of which cast. I believe are dead, huh? That's the dream cast: Seymour Cassell, <laughs> Burt Reynolds. I don't think Dan Hedaya is dead. No, we are, we are fifty percent passed away. I am sorry, Dan Hedaya is still alive and kicking. I am sorry, Dan Hedaya. But yeah, it's essentially about these four retired mobsters who are trying to save their retirement home. And they try to bring back their old ways. And through a series of comical events, it still works out in their favor because it's Hollywood and it's a comedy. Uh, and it's actually written by Barry Finero, who I didn't realize this was a producer of The Golden Girls. <laughs> so Which he is went one of to, my favorite shows of all time. But yeah, he went back to the well for the crew. But he should have. All right, I'm going to go next. Mine is actually not all that old. 
It stars two of the most famous actors of all time, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. I really like the bucket list, but it is sentimental as hell. It's about two guys. One, Jack Nicholson plays a million billionaire, runs hospitals. He refuses to have rooms. There are private rooms. Make as much money as you can. He gets cancer. He gets stuck in one of his own hospitals, and he has to share a room with another patient, Morgan Freeman, and he gets cancer, and they both have terminal cancer, and they decide that they, using Jack Nicholson's money, should do their bucket list of all the things they ever wanted to do, and that's what best the picture is about. It's kind of a, it's a buddy cancer movie. But it's real sentimental. It's directed. It's hard to watch in some, and it is hard to watch in some points. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of sentimental to me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's really funny. I really enjoy it. Directed by Meathead. How can you go wrong, James? All right, James. Did we bring up either one of your two? No, no. I I I was going to do, and I had two because I knew one of you. I figured somebody would take secondhand lines. I really did. That's because we did it in that episode. episode We're very yeah, yeah. I was gonna say secondhand lines, but I won't do secondhand lines since we've done it before in Bonehead. Check out that episode. Uh, I'm gonna actually say, as far as Twilight of of the years, Mr. Holmes, Ian McKellen playing Sherlock Holmes. Oh, that's a good one. uh, Directed by Bill Condon, based on the novel A Slight Trick of the Mind. Which yep. is exactly, it's about Sherlock Holmes as he's older, Watson has passed on, he's nearing the end of his life, he's not sure he's as sharp as he used to be, and it's just about that, just about how he's coming to terms with that, and there's a, there's a family involved, a mother and son, I should say, but it's really just about what's your quality of life and what do you value, as, and the way the movie ends, I'll spoil this, Sherlock Holmes doesn't die. But it has a very nice ending that wraps everything up, kind of. So, yeah. all right. This is by good. the way, I found it. It is the episode one sixty three best and strangest Christmas television specials. Genius. That's that's not it. That's <laughs> not it at all. Weekly fun size. Subscribe. We need. That's where I did a junkie's Christmas. Come on, Australia. You love a junkie's Christmas, Australia. We do joke around about the Bonehead guys, and they joke about us, um, but truthfully, they often record these segments at the drop of a hat, and sometimes we throw a new, or I throw a new subject at them at very short notice, and they always step up to the challenge, so I just wanted to stop for a moment and just you know thank them for that. Uh, it's very impressive, considering that all three of them uh, have families and jobs, and one of them even lives in a different state entirely, so big thanks to Joe, Chad, and James for uh, contributing to our humble little show that we do here each week. Their own show, Bonehead Weekly, is uh, wherever you find podcasts from, and I encourage you to go and find them online and support what they do. Some of their recent guests include John C. Foster, who is an author of The Isle and Mr. White and Baby Powder, Gary Sherman, a director of Dead and Buried and Poltergeist 3, and they had Todd Farmer on recently, who wrote Jason X and My Bloody Valentine. Um, So yeah, Boneheads, give them some love. But anyway, mate, uh, the clock is ticking here. Let's um, get... Let's get uh, actually clock is ticking more ways than one, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's always it's always bedtime. <laughs> and midsummer murder starts in ten hours. Gotta be ready for that. <laughs> the, the, I, I I believe I just heard on the TV that uh, the ABC is starting new tricks from the start. Ooh! So there's if you into if you want some BBC some quality BBC programming, just head on over to ABC. Well. Yeah, that is if it doesn't clash with bingo or the the, uh, the raffle at four. Or a countdown, a.k.a. words and numbers. <laughs> so that's all right. I've got a fetch box so I can tape them all once I figure out how to use it. 
<laughs> where does the cassette go? Yeah, where's the, where's the tape go? <laughs> anyway, Ben, spit spot. What's your next recommendation, sir? Uh, my next one uh, is uh, a great film that I have put off watching for, well, now, was that 10, 20, <laughs> over 20 years, called <laughs> Nobody's Fool, uh, starring uh, Paul Newman. I have always wanted to watch this movie. It was it was mm. one that I constantly picked up in the video store and I thought I'm going to put this on in the shop, but no, someone's going to walk in and ruin it. And <laughs> and if I get caught one more time putting the back in 5 minutes sign on the door for 2 hours while I watch a movie uninterrupted, <laughs> I'm going to get fired. So. I just had a classic I just had a classic Ben moment that um I realized that as you're saying nobody's full I'm nodding really enthusiastically yeah. and nobody <laughs> at home can see me do it. <laughs> uh it's directed by uh Robert uh Robert Benton who wrote things like Bonnie and Clyde and What's Up Doc and directed uh, Bad Company and Kramer vs Kramer and Places in the Heart and Nadine and also Twilight which shares with Paul Newman which shares a lot of the cast. Uh, of Nobody's Fool, including um, uh, Margot Martindale, who uh, is a great kind of, who has great small small parts in both films. Uh, this one also, it, like this movie actually has a phenomenal cast. Uh, Jessica Tandy, it was her last film. Uh, Bruce Willis, Melanie Griffith, Dylan Walsh, Pruitt Taylor Vince, uh, Joseph Summer has a great bit. A very, a great uh, performance by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who plays this, idiot cop that's harassing Paul Newman and he's like he's he's great it's like it's it's almost like his character from um scent of a woman but like as an adult cop instead of a, a rich snob uh kid it, like, it's, it's great and this movie's like a, it's a really good kind of it's a coming of age film but the coming of age of a man who happens to be in his 60s mm. uh and so and basically Paul Newman is this kind of grouchy kind of construction working kind of old guy who lives in this town in, in New York, in like in upstate New York kind of thing, who um, he lives with Jessica Tandy, who I believe is his old high school teacher. And he's got like his uh, son, Dylan Walsh is estranged. Like he's, he hasn't really had anything to do with his, with his son, almost since that from the day he was born, even though he only ever, he moved away, he kind of left when the kid was born and he moved like five blocks away, but still had, had generally had nothing to do with the kid. And he works for, uh, he's a contractor, but he works for Bruce Willis, who has a big kind of construction company who he kind of has this love hate relationship with. And Bruce Willis is married to Melanie Griffiths that uh, Paul Newman kind of flirts with constantly in front of Bruce Willis just to kind of piss him off and because Melanie Griffiths <laughs> kind of likes it. And Melanie Griffiths kind of is, has her issues with Bruce Willis because he's constantly cheating on her with his secretaries and, and uh, stuff. Um, Pruitt Taylor Vince plays his, uh, his kind of slow best friend slash employee. And, um, you know, kind of during the course of the movie, his Dylan Walsh kind of comes back into his life and he finds out he has a grandson or he actually has two grandsons, but one kind of, disappears you know, through the course of the film and he kind of realizes that while it's too late really for him to become a father he can become maybe he can become a grandfather he's like you got to start mm. somewhere it's just this really it's a really nice like 
like movie like there's, uh, there's no other way to kind of say it like it just is this really kind of good feel good pleasant experience to watch and it's, it's i agree one of those films definitely one of those films that when i watched it i kind of kicked myself and thought why did i t- wait so long to watch it like it is just really good yeah and there's something special in that though when you discover these films well not discover but when you when you catch up with these films all these yeah. years later they're just all that more special even the poster art for that one is so simple so i think a picture of him with the baseball cap on and just the nice title font that in itself sets a tone i really like yeah. it yeah yeah, it's a great awesome, awesome choice, mate. Um, that's a blast from the past for me. But I'm I'm going to go another one that's a blast from the past. Uh, what I consider to be a classic. I first saw this film at the Kino Cinema in 1999, and it's um it's the film that David Lynch considers to be his most experimental film that he's ever made, and it is the Straight Story, starring Richard Farnsworth and Harry Dean Stanton. And look, this this is you know one of David Lynch's lesser known films, I guess, uh, and yet it's probably his most accessible one. Is it? It's the first movie he made for a studio, right? Because it's a Disney film. It is a Disney film, although it was made independently, and Disney picked up picked the distribution. Up. So rights. it's like a Netflix original. Yeah, kind of. But every single like uh, physical media release has been branded with Disney for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah, it, it's got a cult following over all these years. It's sort of, you know, it's, it's got a loyal fan base. It's essentially a road movie. It's a really sweet one too, because it's a true story about an elderly man played by Farnsworth who finds out that his estranged brother suffered a stroke. And because, uh, Farnsworth, um, is too old and can't drive and they won't give him a license because he doesn't qualify, uh, in a desperate bid to get to his brother, he attaches a small trailer to a ride on lawnmower and rides 400 kilometers across the country, you know, at five kilometers per hour to to make amends and it's just a beautiful film the the casual observations and you know just the 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 sentiment behind it he meets people along the way tells his life story as he goes it's a very slow meandering type of story but it's just really charming um and yeah it's it's definitely i can see why lynch considers it his most experimental film because his films are so batshit crazy and fucked up that this one being such a straight story is really weird for him (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's just it is a really sweet film and it does it does have a couple of cameos from kind of lynch from the lynch universe yep and they're like he's really good everett mcgill pops up and he's great and he has this small part as the as the um the lawnmower salesman that he kind of comes across that helps him out and sissy spacek is in it as his daughter and she's great and all the kind of the people he meets along the way like it's really it's a really kind of pleasant film. I watched it again not too long ago because it was on um, SBS On Demand. I think they they had picked up the rights for like a good six months or something. It kept popping up. And finally, I was like, Look, I'm going to watch it again. Because like you, I think I saw it at the Kino uh, when it yeah, came yeah. out. And I, I absolutely loved it. Mm. Um, but and yeah, you're totally right. It is unlike anything David Lynch <laughs> has done before or since. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, what <laughs> Sissy Spacek, I forgot to mention she's in it. He plays like the um the simple daughter mm. who sort of, you know, doesn't want him to go because he kind of looks after her. But, you know, the interesting thing I found about this, even though it was um, only distributed by Disney, Disney sort of have this habit of making these sort of quirky, unbankable type of films every now and then. You know, things like The Kid with Bruce Willis and The Odd Life of Timothy Green and even Million Dollar Arm with John Hamm. These movies sort of, they're guaranteed not to make money, but they still put them out there anyway. Well, that, Strange little thing they do. They make movies for, not necessarily all for adults, but they do, it was like, it. I don't know if you've ever read that Kim Masters book. 
um, Keys to the no. Kingdom, all about Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg kind of coming in and uh, taking mm. over Disney. And they had they they were launched with this kind of philosophy philosophy of um, yesterday's stars in today's movies, and they and so they could get them cheap. Basically, they wanted to yeah, make yeah. these kind of relatively low budget kind of you know adult adult movies or family movies for you know in the ten to twenty million dollar mark, mm. uh, and you know release them and make fifty sixty million dollars at the box office, and it worked really well for them like you know it was a major death you know movies like down and out in beverly hills mm. uh, and stuff like that all came out of that system all of the touchstone films um yeah, yeah. You know. a lot of it's interesting with the michael eisner stuff because a lot of people think that he tarnished disney you know because he introduced the director video sequel to all the classic animation mm. you know your, your cinderella two and three that kind of stuff lion king two but you know, he he kind of resurrected Disney at the same time. He, but these, these, yeah, he one hundred percent turned Disney into the powerhouse it is today. That yeah. that all started from the prior to that. Disney was like a slumbering giant in Hollywood. Like no mm-hmm. one, it it was it was unexciting and uneventful. It was just yep. this kind of old warhorse that was just kind of hanging around. It was you know it was in, mainly in the theme park business at that point. Sure. And now it it dominates the film landscape absolutely and um speaking of dominating film landscape here is a classic film that courtney games did star in it's probably the biggest one he's ever starred in and chloe's gonna take a little bit of a deep dive into some weird aspects of it <laughs> hello my friends it's chloe from movie night with the richie girls and this week i get to fill your ear holes with the sweet sweet reminiscent thoughts of what is arguably one of the greatest movies ever made Back to the Future. Now, if you don't know by now, you'll find out that I'm a bit of a Spielberg whore. Except for those few hidden misses he's had. <coughs> Crystal skull. <coughs> Ooh. Little frog in my throat. Um, there's nothing this absolute genius can do wrong in my eyes. He just emulates that magic and adventure with everything that he pays attention to. Now, he didn't direct Back to the Future, but he did put to practice his producing skills on all three of the movies. I don't exactly remember the first time I saw Back to the Future either, but I do know that my mum had an ulterior motive when she did show it to me. It was so she could relive her teenage dreams. You know, her fantasy of being Michael J. Fox's girlfriend. It was her dream. But mum, despite other things, you were six feet tall at 14 years old. It was never going to happen, babe. (laughs) I wasn't even born yet when this movie was released in 1985, but... When I did finally watch it for the first time, it was on VCR and I was young and it did blow my tiny mind. The special effects especially that definitely hold up to this day. And you'll already know how much I appreciate a good old fashioned stunt work over CGI. So that's something that I can truly appreciate now and back then. The time travel movies I feel have always messed with my brain a little bit. I just think they're such fickle things to mess with and I can't comprehend how time travel movies generally have a happy ending. Just once, I'd like to see someone completely fuck it up. And I mean, like, really fuck it up. I'm going to make Back to Future, for example. Let's just say Marty goes back in time. He doesn't realise that his mum is his mum, somehow. They pull a Luke and Leia, but go one step further and get freaky. Then she falls pregnant. (laughs) Then she gives birth to his grotesque, inbred brother-son, 
which sets off this weird chain of events that leads to like, I don't know, a new breed of killer mosquito being created and then only solely targets humans. And then when the mosquito bites the human, it turns it into a mosquito vampire hybrid that is never satisfied. <laughs> Too much? Sorry guys, but in all honesty, that's a movie that I would watch. I'd probably even watch the sequel, Glenn. Anyway, getting back on track, I selfishly love this movie because it ties my two favorite genres, sci-fi and comedy. Add in all those amazing little hidden gems that are in the background, like the man hanging off the arm of the clock, or the whole two pines turning into the lone pine, or even the person in the dog suit driving the DeLorean. And then you've got a movie that is completely different, or even just slightly different, every time you watch it. It also wouldn't have that magical Spielberg feel without a Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> he loves those things. Or, you know, they love him. Either way, it's lucky for the movie because it fits in so perfectly with Doc's character. Now, funnily enough, I'll be releasing a whole episode dedicated to Back to the Future on my podcast too, Movie Night with the Richie Girls. So be sure to look out for that. It, you know, like in the future. <laughs> now I'm going to make like a tree and get out of here. So have a happy Monday, friends. No, I, I definitely remember where I was the first time I saw Back to the Future. Uh, it was on new release on VHS and it was a dinner party in Williamstown. The adults were drinking and playing Trivial Pursuit in one room and us kids were watching Back to the Future in the Rumpus Room. Do you remember Rumpus Rooms? I do remember Rumpus Rooms. And I also remember being a kid that, uh, and you make it sound like a, it was like a key swap party. <laughs> it no felt like that, I reckon. That, uh, all the adults were pairing <laughs> off in weird <laughs> swinger-esque assignations. <laughs> Probably like in, were. Like we, in the ice we were told it was Trivial Pursuit. Yeah. <laughs> Like, no one has that much fun with general trivia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something interesting is we have actually gained a whole new audience since uh, Chloe and Sam both came onto the show a few weeks ago. So, um, look, big thanks to both of them. Thanks to Chloe for that segment. Um, it's nice to have some new people on board. How's it going to all the newbies? Uh, <laughs> no doubt you've heard Chloe talking about movies nonstop over the years. So, I guess in that case, the stupid shit that Ben and I talk about makes sense. You know, finally, people that understand us, mate. Maybe I wouldn't go that far. I don't know. I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, I don't think what I said even made sense then. No. <laughs> I wasn't listening. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in a shameless piece of self-promotion, you can catch up with Chloe and myself on Wednesday night at ten thirty on a thirty-minute video that we do every week called Up Late, and it's just myself and her chatting about movies and drinking hot beverages and things like that. All right, Ben. What what are things like that? Like you just drink things like that. Coffee. What? What? Well, sometimes sometimes it's Milo. Sometimes it's tea. Right. Okay. Mm. And we talk about things like that. Like and like Milo and tea. (laughs) Yeah, we we have had that conversation. (laughs) It takes us back to the origins of Good Movie Monday, where those first I don't know five episodes were all about coffee and tea. Coffee and tea. Yeah. It was a banger of a show back then, mate. <laughs> we, 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 well, when that new James Bond movie comes out, we'll get the band back together and I will, I will break, I will break my uh, self-imposed hot beverage uh, embargo and, uh, and we, can, we can spend the first half of the show talking about it. And then kick on with uh, how terrible the new James Bond film is undoubtedly. I was um, 
I was only talking to Keith yesterday and he's very keen to come back and uh, do a guest on the show. Oh, excellent. In the, is he going to come in? Yes. In and studio? for all of those, those new people I just mentioned, Keith was the original co-host of the show that uh, Ben took over from at episode 20, I believe. Uh, it's actually going to be super interesting to see how he does come in, considering <laughs> I killed him and have been faking those, uh, those chat conversations uh, <laughs> the whole time. That's how I, that's how I, that's how I got the spot in the show. Would you like to take charge of the final recommendation? Sure. Uh, for this one, I'm, this is one of my, this is one of my um, all time favorite films. And funny enough, it wasn't until I went back and listened to the commentary that I realized it was linked to another one of my all time favorite films. This movie uh, is called roommates. It's from, mm. I think I've already said it's from 1995. It's directed by Peter Yates. Uh, the man behind Bullet and The Hot Rock and Breaking Away and Krull and An Innocent Man, which I think I talked about a couple of uh, months ago. Um, and stars D.B. Sweeney and is produced by this guy, Ted Field, who also produced another D.B. Sweeney movie called Cutting Edge uh, a couple of years prior to this in 1992 and with Moira Kelly. It's an ice skating kind of romantic drama, I guess. And I love that film. And I didn't realize the two were related other than D.B. Sweeney was, was in them both. But I, um, I picked up the, the, the roommate's uh, Kino Lorber Blu-ray uh, recently, and that has a D.B. Sweeney commentary on it. And I listened to that, and I, only, I literally listened to it for the first five minutes. I thought, I thought, I've seen this movie so many times, I do not need to revisit it uh, mm. for the show to talk about it. But then I was like, oh, I'll just have a quick listen to the commentary and see if there's anything... Any, any more information I could gleam. I got, I made it five minutes into the commentary before I went, I'll stop talking DB Sweeney. I just want to watch the movie. So I watched, I watched the movie again. It is, it is that awesome. good. It's great. Um, as I said, DB Sweeney uh, stars in it along with Peter Falk. Uh, and it is a, it's a very early uh, appearance by Julianne Moore. I think this is like her second or third film. And she is, start, you cannot take her eyes off her. She's effervescent. In this, she would be, uh, she would be a ginge. She is indeed a ginge, like almost painfully so. Almost, she's almost, uh, like she all those scenes have to be done in shadow, in shade, because she's so ginger <laughs> to the point in shortcuts you see the tops match the tails, the cuffs match the tails. <laughs> she, there's not one part of her body that natural sun cannot, uh, can reach without uh, burning occurring. Uh, that's what you call a. That's what you call a ranger muffin. <laughs> but a stunning one, a, <laughs> a stunning one. And basically, this movie, it's it's this kind of heartwarming tale about um, this uh, kid whose parents die uh, very early on in the piece, and he's like, I think he's like about six or seven, and so then uh, he goes to live with his kind of crusty uh, grandfather played by Peter Falk, um, who's like a Polish immigrant baker who, and he came over, like he came over from Poland when he was a kid by himself and kind of came up the hard way. So he's kind of gruff, but has a heart of gold. And, um, you know, it's all about their kind of, you know, he lives with, they live together for their first, you know, kind of 20 years. And then Debbie Sweeney goes off to become a doctor and they separate. And then the, the, the apartment building where um, where Peter Falk lives and has lived for 50 years uh, is condemned. So he goes to live with 
Debbie Sweeney in his kind of in his in his basement. They be, they become roommates in this like basement apartment uh, where uh, Debbie Sweeney has a like a bed, and they've got a, all they've got is a pull out couch. And you know, they there's lots of friction and stuff, but they but they really love each other. And he meets Julianne Moore, and kind of you know they get married, and then he has kids, and then things happen. But it, it is it is uh, phenomenal. There's also uh, Ellen Burstyn uh, pops up in the film. She plays. Um, Julianne Moore's mother, Ernie Sabella turns up as uh, the kind of comedy relief, annoying uncle uh, stash. And Ernie Sabella would probably be more well known to everybody who listens to this show as the voice of Pumba in The Lion King, uh, yeah. which is great. Frankie Faison, the first time I've ever seen Frankie Faison uh, play a college professor, and he's great. He's great in the in the as the he's the college professor who helps uh, Peter Falk, who's like. Um, they they do a weird thing with Peter Falk in this. He he's already he would have been like in his sixties when this movie kind of was made, but they stick him in old people makeup right from the start. So even when when the DB Sweeney character is six years old, he's wearing weird old man makeup, and then they try and age him even more as the film goes on. So he's throughout the film he has more and more kind of old gunk on his on his face. Yet no one else does, like. Ernie Sabella. They've done that to him. Yeah, they've done that to him in quite a few movies. I think The Princess Bride even, like, they make him look yeah. much older than and what he's supposed to, you know. He, they could have just left him alone, or they could have just left him in the in the makeup that he's in kind of at the start, because he, you mm. know, um, he's great. But he, yeah, so he's this kind of old guy who can't get a job because he's so old. And he he uh, goes to see Frankie Faison, who's a, like a law professor, history and law professor, Um who then uh, helps him get a job because it's a human rights, a civil rights violation. Uh, mm. And they kind of have a kind of a, a, a funny relationship. And there's also a weird kind of, there's a couple of weird cameos, but William H. Macy is the kind of, is the big one who's just like a doctor in one of the hospitals that Debbie Sweeney works. And this is before I think William H. Macy had really kind of done anything. So like he and Julianne Moore are pretty, pretty early on in their careers in their film careers, I should say. <laughs> and they would both go on to Jurassic Park world. Yeah, that's right. They both, both <laughs> would be in, unfortunately not the same one. And unfortunately, oh, no. not a, n neither of them are in a particularly good Jurassic Park. <laughs> but, you know. But, you know, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good it's one. a fantastic film. Definitely worth picking up that, that uh, Kino Lorber Blu-ray. Fantastic. Um, my final flick, I'll keep this one quick, but uh, it's a movie that I, I watched with different eyes to what I remembered. It's one called Tough Guys from 1986, starring Kurt Douglas and Burt Lancaster. And I enjoyed this thoroughly for just entirely different reasons. I do remember it being just a real sort of fun comedy, sort of a little bit of old guys kicking ass type of movie back in the day. But now... I watch it. Let me set the premise up first. It's about two bank robbers from the 1950s who spend 30 years in jail together. They get released into 1980s America where it's a massive culture shock and they have to assimilate into a whole new world. But what I found fascinating watching this now is that more time has passed since the film's release than what had passed in their world during their imprisonment. Yeah. And the world they step into is just as foreign to us as modern moviegoers <laughs> as it was to them as, you know, old timers. Yeah, the and this dating, is... dating in the 80s is not something that... Uh... My goodness, and one of the co-stars in this one was Dana Carvey and he played their parole officer, right? And he is now the same age as they were in the film and what you were saying before about how we age better these days, mm. 
He's like, you know, approaching, uh, he's approaching late 60s, I think, Dana Carvey. Yeah. Or mid to late 60s. He looks like 30 years younger now than what either of those, um, you know, Kurt Douglas or Burt Lancaster look like in the film. Like there's a lot of scenes in that film with, uh, with Kurt Douglas kind of dancing with his 20-year-old girlfriend. <laughs> and you, yeah. cut, you watch it and you're like, I, can, I think he's having a stroke on camera. <laughs> it's hilarious because um, not only that, He's dancing in like you know fluoro shoulder padded <laughs> sort of tracksuit pant material you know suits. Yeah, and there's this hilarious scene where he goes into uh, like a clothing store to to get a new outfit, and and the guy that serves him is presented as a face on a television monitor. Yeah, kind of like in Back <laughs> to the Future, you know. <laughs> and he he does that whole montage of coming out of the change room, you know, wearing different things, and it's just absurd but you know obviously in today's world where we've come a long way with you know social things you know just some of those the first bar they walk into when they get out of prison is a gay bar gay bar, yeah and it's hilarious but in some regards there's a little bit of you know progressiveness there because they're kind of not that you know bothered by it they sort of they don't want to be there but they're not offended at the same time it's very strange kind of like they're trying to be progressive they're very liberal for gangsters yeah. yeah, for old <laughs> right. kind of Italian-y gangsters. And the two funniest things about this film for me are, firstly, Eli Wallach plays like this hitman that comes after them, and he is hysterical. He steals the show. He is so good in this. <laughs> With his goggle glasses. He's yeah. got, like, you know, Coke bottle glasses, and he's, like, almost got a lisp when he comes after them. Yeah, but and he's potty mouth. Like, he is, like, he's yep. so good. It's so good. And apparently he came onto the film like days before they shot because the previous guy dropped out or was fired or something. I, I don't know the story there, but so he came onto that film, you know, last minute notice and just stole it. But also Billy Barty, the great Billy Barty that we have referenced on this show many times, plays one of the gangster, the, the, the lead gangster, the mob boss. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious just in and of itself. It's a classic film. Like I, I remember, as you say, like I, I remember watching this, like it, I think it must've been on TV quite a bit. But I do remember, and borrowing it on video, but I remember the big joke was just that, look, they're old guys and they're beating up young guys. Like, that's literally as far as it went. So when I rewatched this, it was like a whole new film. It was like, I had no idea about any of this stuff. Like, it just kind of... There's a lot more, yeah. You know, completely dismissed it or or it just didn't penetrate. Uh, You know, when I was watching the film, like a lot of the kind of the... the, Yeah, the humour of it. And it, but it also touches on elder abuse and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I was waiting for Ben Stiller to rock up at the nursing home. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you will go to bed. Or I will that, go to is the it bed. the guy who's the trim, uh, the Abadabas guy? Is that the guy <laughs> who runs so. the, the, this, the is this big brawly buff guy that, you yeah. know, making the meat slop? I'm oh, sure whatever. that he was like one of those guys who used to sell fitness, like, you know, fitness products on late night TV in America. Like, do you want to have trim tight Abadabas? Like, I'm sure it's that guy. <laughs> Yeah, probably. He looks like one. Yeah, he to- totally is. He's one of those dudes. <laughs> so anyway, Tough Guys, um, yeah, highly recommended. I, I watched it as an adult with completely different eyes to when I was a kid, and I enjoyed it from both perspectives, for sure. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. This week, I am talking about Colours, a movie that has the distinction of being directed by Dennis Hopper. Yes, that Dennis Hopper. So when Dennis is not acting incredibly in films like Apocalypse Now, he's making occasionally incredible films like Easy Rider and here, 
colours, which is very, very different territory. It's an interesting thing for Hopper to go into, but I think that he has always been a counterculture icon, and I can see the allure of him wanting to go and do this expose on this aspect of LA life. The gangs that he is covering here, the LA, the Crips and the Bloods, are incredibly violent, and you do not want to be stuck in the middle of them. The people that are stuck in the middle of them are two of the best actors, I think, that have ever lived. You've got Robert Duvall, who is the absolute king of calm, and then you've got Sean Penn, who is, for my money, the angriest actor that's ever lived. They have great interplay here, incredible chemistry. Hopper has got a really, really good handle on them, and watching them navigate these streets and these two gangs is fascinating stuff, and their different policing styles, which couldn't be any different, elicit very different responses. There are uh, cameos in this that, you know, people pop up, like, you know, Damon Wayans and Don Cheadle, people that went on to have incredible careers. So it feels really authentic. It feels like a real slice of LA. I always liked these kind of movies. Um, growing up in country Victoria, I couldn't believe that this is something that people had to live through. You know, like movies like Menace to Society and Boys in the Hood. I was like, wow, you know, this couldn't be any different to what was going on in my street. But yeah, if you want to check out, you know, a punchy action film that has got Penn and Duval on fine form, I highly recommend you check out Colours. It's streaming on stand right now. Man, I, I love Colours. Do you, do you remember the song to Colours? Look, all I really remember, all I really remember about <laughs> Colors is that is it was when I was in primary school is when that movie hit, and mm. everyone coming to school like, and it was a thing like, are you a blood or are you crip? And if you said <laughs> the wrong thing, you got beaten up, like primary school beaten up. But <laughs> so it wasn't really there was no real it wasn't really being beaten up, but it was like it was a thing, and I was like, and I had no interest in seeing the movie. I was like, I don't even know what this is about. There's no way mum and dad's going to let me watch this. But I was like, I have to know which is the good one, which is the one, which is the good one to be. I just get, I remember thinking like, man, they spelt it wrong on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) But that was like, it was weird too, because, you know, now that we've watched so many films over the years, it was a precursor to Boys in the Hood and, you know, those sort of urban uh, dramas, which Adam references, but it was told through like a white man's lens, which is, you know, interesting yeah. to watch back. But I guess, um, I guess it, at the same time, it turned a spotlight on that world and sort of, you know, opened the world's eyes to what's going on. But anyway. I remember who I heard somebody talking about, they were, they were in the film and they, they had some like real kind of gang members were playing extras and stuff. And he was like, you know, yeah, yeah. They were the real the real deal like it was i actually think dennis hopper like had a little bit of street cred just because of the type of films he made yeah you know the the drug culture and all that so he was probably able to infiltrate a little bit harder but i remember the lead gang member in that was also the guy from um weird al's uhf that played rail's animal kingdom (laughs) (laughs) remember when he takes the ant farm he goes they really hate it when you do this and he shakes the (laughs) ant farm Yeah, well, he's the gang member from Colours, and that always you know, blew my mind. Yeah. But anyway, thank thank you to Adam. Uh, you can catch Adam on Facebook on Adam's Just Seen, and of course you can hear him on Triple M. And um, and also the, the sound of Adam also signifies the end of the show. So another week from the Zoomverse, Ben. It's just not the same without you here, mate. It's a bit different. The delay is, the delay is a bit of a killer, but, uh, you know, we all have to do our part in these covid times <laughs> although it's hard to you know you hear you see the the news report and they're like 209 cases in sydney and you're like how many have we got here in melbourne seven <laughs> and not really it was zero then five then two 
You're like, yeah, okay. Why, why are we in snap lockdown again? <laughs> well, can of worms, my friend, can just, of worms. Just in case, just in case. <laughs> well, next week, regardless of how we do this, uh, we will have Samantha Housen back on the show. So uh, in case you haven't seen, Sam has joined us on a few midweek videos in the uh, in the last couple of weeks. And uh, she definitely brings a little bit of class to what we do. So can't wait to have her back on the show. She certainly outclasses us, Ben. That wouldn't be hard, uh, Glenn. Uh, <laughs> here's me trying to pay her a compliment and here comes Ben that wouldn't be hard <laughs> I, don't want, I, don't, I don't need Sam getting too big of a head <laughs> that's true uh, we're, we're already yeah, we're outpaced by all of the segments already we don't need to we don't need to bring that bring that to the desk Next week, unless we unless we have a, a spur of the moment change of the schedule, uh, we will be bringing you a show all about Hollywood Meta, which is uh, Hollywood movies about Hollywood. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, that's another reason to come back. Of course, this week we have lots of video content going up on our social media pages. Uh, tonight you can see Ben and myself react to James Gunn's Suicide Squad and then uh, tomorrow, which is Tuesday, you can see the video version of my interview with Courtney Gaines uh, and that's uh, that's special. And on Wednesday, don't forget to catch myself and Chloe at 10.30 for another episode of Up Late and then on Thursday, Samantha Housen will be joining us once again for another round of Lucky Dip. But before we go, muchas gracias to our mates in reverse order. Adam, Chloe, James, Chad, Joe, Guillermo, and Jarrett. And as always, cheers to you, Ben. Anything you want to squeeze in before we drop the mic? Nope. <laughs> nope. Okay. Well, here's a rarity to leave you with. So I talked about the hard guys before. There was a band that featured in that film. And 1986, they were called the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Never heard of the them. Chili or the Chili Peppers, as some people say, total 80s post-punk peppers. <laughs> but they recorded a song for the film that was exclusive to the movie, never, ever released anywhere else. This is it. It's called Set It Straight, and it, it doesn't even sound like them. But um, enjoy, and see you on socials, my friends. Have a good one.
Yes, it's utterly, utterly rotten to be ginger. <laughs> it doesn't matter if one's poor or rich. I don't want to be a cringer or a whinger. But if you're ginger, life could be a bitch. <laughs> Fergie's here was fiery red and she's no longer here. Poor Van Gogh got so pissed off that he cut off his ear. <laughs> if Lionel Blair had dyed his hair, would he be a ginger beer? Yes, it's utterly, utterly rotten to be ginger. <laughs> Yes, it's utterly, utterly rotten to be ginger. I say to you that it's not really fair. If one happened to singe ginger fringer, <laughs> would one have a flaming head of hair? <laughs> when it comes to scarlet bonces, oh, how the mighty fall. He lost to elections, Neil Kimmock's what he's called. He was twice unlucky, cause he's ginger and he's bald. He's a worse than he's bald and he's ginger. <laughs> Red-headed Englishman can't sit in the midday sun. My freckled skin's as white as alabaster. But five minutes in the sun and mine is not. Now I look like a blistered crimson lobster. <laughs> and I sit in the shade and join the rocks. <laughs> On the beach one sees a blondie, but is it natural? With a ginger-headed person, it's easier to tell. Cause I must confess, a red mustard crest grows in my dingly dell. It's a six hour a mile when you're ginger. Oh yes, it's utterly, utterly rotten to be. You need grit, you need guts, when you're dunking ginger nuts. It's utterly, utterly rotten to be. My wife's angry when in bed. Drop my trousers, she sees red. It's utterly, utterly rotten to be. The bouncing balls of Boris Becker. Grated carrot around his back. It's utterly, utterly rotten. Beneath these pants of cotton, 